Today on the Church Next podcast, we're going to talk about dementia and its spiritual implications. Dementia is a pervasive affliction that robs victims of their memories, but does not rob them of their spirits. As a culture, we are afraid of dementia. We rely so heavily on our brains functioning as they should that it can feel like everything is lost when our rational functions and memories become inaccessible to us. It's terrible for family members and friends to watch the people they love apparently disappear into the confusion, lost as if their lives are over, though their bodies remain. Hello and welcome back. I'm Carrie Graves with Church Next. Today we'll hear from Dorothy Linthicum. An instructor at Virginia Theological Seminary, Dorothy has studied and taught courses and workshops about older adult spirituality and ministry at the seminary, at conferences, and for dioceses. She is the author of Redeeming Dementia. Our podcasts are curated from our online learning library at churchnext.tv. Learn more about us there. If you'd like to support us, please consider a monthly subscription. That will give you access to all of our individual online classes. Your generosity helps us produce digital experiences that help shape disciples. Even life's hardest experiences offer chances for us to learn and grow. People treat dementia differently, though, even those who do see challenges as opportunities, because dementia feels wasteful and final, like there's nothing to learn from it. How can you grow from something that diminishes you or a loved one so thoroughly? Today, Dorothy shows us that, like with other difficult experiences, it is possible to find value in dementia, in experiencing it, and in watching loved ones experience it. In the famous All the World's a Stage speech from Shakespeare's As You Like It, written more than 400 years ago, Shakespeare describes a human being's last stage of life as second childishness and mere oblivion. Western culture has looked with fear and shock upon people experiencing dementia for centuries, and as we still have no cure for Alzheimer's, it continues to frighten and confuse us. Our fear makes us misunderstand, to some extent, both the disease and how people experience it. Many of us worry about Alzheimer's disease and dementia without really knowing exactly what they are or what they do to our brains. In this segment, Dorothy will explain some of what science today can tell us about what happens in the brains of people with dementia. She'll also introduce us to the idea of the stigma attached to Alzheimer's disease and the errors inherent in accepting such stigma, rather than challenging it. When my colleague at Virginia Theological Seminary and I began talking about how to approach the topic of dementia, we decided to begin with science before moving to theology and spiritual issues. In the last 15 or 20 years before Uh, before we knew much about the brain, with scans and all sorts of technology, our knowledge has just exploded. Non-invasive scans at people as they think, act in the world, have opened our understanding of this extraordinary program, organ. On Pluto, a book written by a man with early-onset Alzheimer's describes the brain in this way. 
The human brain, a fragile organ that inaugurates connectivity for the first week in utero, contains 100 billion neurons, 16 billion times the number of people on Earth, with each neuron igniting more than 10,000 synaptic connections to other neurons, totaling more than a trillion connections that store memories. If your brain functioned like a digital video recorder, it could hold more than 3 million hours of TV shows, enough video storage for 300 years. Each of us comes to rely on the smooth functioning of our extraordinary brains until we note a dysfunction with misfires in some of the parts that result in memory loss, logic malfunctions, balance, and facial recognition, among other symptoms. Our senses of vision, hearing, smell, taste, and touch are vital inputs to the brain for communication and enjoyment of life. The sense of touch is one of the first to develop in a newborn and the last to be lost in dementia. The sense of smell has a very direct line to the brain, which is why smells are so, so strongly associated with memories and emotions. It is memory that is most often associated with dementia. Short-term memory, which is like a temporary scratch pad, is usually the first to go. It is a nerve impulse, not a well-worn track which is routed through the hippocampus and converts short-term memory to long-term memory. Long-term memory is robust, even if recall degrades. Memories attached to significant emotions tend to last a long time. Many remember the exact details of how they spent September 11, 2001, but few remember their activities the day before. Another important memory is music. While music involves the auditory areas of the brain, it also taps into the emotional center. From scans, we have discovered that the whole brain is involved when we listen to music. Researchers recently scanned the brains of young people in their 20s who were listening to music from their childhood. Comparing these scans to, to those of people with advanced dementia, Researchers discovered that the primary area for long-term music memory is surprisingly spared in the brains of those with Alzheimer's. The lesson to be learned is the power of music in freeing people who have been imprisoned by their dementia. From a science point of view, what is dementia? Well, it's a progressive brain deterioration, including loss of memory, judgment, language, complex motor skills, and other intellectual function caused by the permanent damage or death of the brain's neurons. Now that we are living longer, Alzheimer's become the most prevalent cause of dementia. It's responsible for 60 to 80% of dementia diagnoses and is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. But the important takeaway here is that dementia is a symptom of a disease. It is not a mental illness, nor does it deserve the negative stigma that surrounds it. Too often I hear people refer to those with dementia as having no there there. Despite thousands upon thousands of tests and brain scans and monitors, no one has ever found the locus of the spirit or the self. That is the second important takeaway from this discussion. While our understanding of those bound by dementia is limited, 
Theologians assure us that God's promises to us are not diminished nor changed because of a physical illness, even one with symptoms of dementia. culture, we tend to place heavy emphasis on the ability to think, understand, and consider the world rationally. We spend years educating ourselves and pushing ourselves toward greater intellectual understanding, and memory plays a big role in that. We practice curiosity, intelligence, and creative thinking. Even when reading poetry, listening to music, or watching movies, we are trained to prioritize thinking and analysis. What is the structure of this poem, for example? Over feeling, faith, or experience. Did this poem make me want to cry? But what happens when a person's ability to remember and to reason disappears? If we define our worth, our very humanity, and the worth of our experiences so completely in terms of our ability to think about them, what happens when our brains stop being able to do that? Let's hear from Dorothy on theological approaches to understanding ourselves and our worth in ways that shift the value of our humanity away from our ability to think about it and toward God's ability to think about it. David Kelsey describes us as personal living human bodies related to God through God's acts of creating, redeeming, and reconciling. Our physical, biological reality does not limit who we really are. Even with ailments such as a coma or severe dementia, we are still capable of responding to God, even only by our sheer, mute, living presence before God. Our integrity or our our identity lies in our eccentric nature with God in the center, rooted in the ways that God relates to us. At the same time, we are profoundly dependent on other people and creatures. We are related in ways that help build our identities, who we are. But the judgments of others do not define our identity, which can come only from our relationship with God. Kelsey also argues that personhood can never be lost, even if our bodies lose awareness of consciousness, change personality, or lose the ability to think. The status of our personhood is permanent in unity with God. So in Romans, when Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, dementia makes the list. Despite these promises, we allow culture in our own words to separate us from the God who creates, relates to us by creating, redeeming, and reconciling. I've heard people describe those with dementia with words like, it's so sad to see someone stripped of her humanity. He doesn't know if I visit or not. All that is left is an empty shell. These observations can be traced to our culture's embrace of the hyper-rationality. Its hold on our thinking goes back to the 16th century with Rene Descartes' observation, I think, therefore I am. I have heard people say that the tragedy of dementia is its destruction of a person's humanity. Actually, during the most difficult days as a caregiver, I said these words myself as my mom and dad seemed to disappear with the progression of the disease. 
But I've come to believe that it's not just rationality that makes us human. Despite the Western intellectual influence that molds our thoughts and opinions, rationality has its limits and does not define us as humans, much less as children of God. Theologian John Swinton argues that if we are our memories, if our sense of self is determined by what we can remember about the world and ourselves, then losing memory does mean losing self. However, he adds, human beings are much more than bundles of memories. There's a world of difference between an apparent dissolution of a human being and the actual dissolution of that person. He adds, devastating as dementia undoubtedly is, those experiencing it do not dissolve. They are certainly changed and there is much suffering and cause for lament. But these people remain rightly held within the memories of God. It is our ideas about humanness, the nature of the self and self-fulfillment and what those mean that will have to be dissolved and recreated. We need to listen to what we say about people with dementia. Our words will probably have no real impact on them. But when they bounce back to us, they stoke our fears and misconceptions. John Swinton concludes, we are because God sustains us in God's memory. Our hope in the fact lies in the fact that we are living in the memories of God. As long as God remembers us, who we are will remain. God says in Isaiah, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. As Episcopalians, we value faith and reason, and we may also find that our brains sometimes get in the way of our fully experiencing God. Being mindful, centered, and simply resting in the presence of God can be hard for us. Those of us who have trouble with this aspect of spiritual living can learn from people with dementia. In the face of having the brain not work as it once did, people are forced to accept and understand reality in different ways. They remain themselves even as their rational faculties falter. And we can learn from these disconcerting experiences, whether as observers or from experiencing dementia ourselves. People with advanced dementia may not know they're learning, but that doesn't mean they aren't. Human beings thrive by learning from how we perceive the world around us, and that process doesn't stop with dementia. In this next segment, Dorothy discusses ways in which dementia can teach us about spirituality. In his book, Spirituality and Aging, Robert Atchley identified three basic forms of spirituality as an intense awareness of the present, transcendence of the personal self, and a feeling of connection with all of life, the universe, a supreme being, or God. I've discovered that people who have dementia, the very condition we fear, seem to easily enter one or or more of these forms of spirituality. People with dementia seem to call us to the present or to an alternate reality created in their topsy-turvy minds. 
They are who they are without apology, living in a world turned upside down, filled with loneliness, uncertainty, and the kindness of strangers. If we slow down and enter their world with them, we may at first feel their anxiety and fear. But if we listen carefully, they can teach us about surviving the unknown, sometimes with grace and dignity, and other times with stubbornness and spite. Dementia doesn't change who we are, but it can mask our identity from us if we don't look hard enough. Longing for home is a common theme among those with dementia. I can't know for certain, but I think my mother was constantly searching for, for the familiar, even as she glided past a mirror and looked at the strange person staring back at her. It was as much a state of mind as a three-dimensional place. Sometimes looking out the window, she would scan the, the horizon to see a person that might be familiar or somebody who walked in a familiar way. It took me a while to accept her for who she had become and to respect the reality that she was still my mother and had much to teach me. The second form of spirituality is what actually caused the transcendence of the personal self. In the busyness of our lives, those of us who don't have symptoms of dementia often spend much of our time looking forward or backwards, often with regrets or fear. We depend on linear time, which can be a gift we must endure, when we must endure unpleasant moments or difficult situations. At the same time, it can rule our thinking and limit our imaginations about who and what and where God is. Surely, God moves easily from one dimension to another, all-knowing and all-powerful. If we can escape to a nonlinear view of time by stepping outside a current reality, we can loosen our ties to preconceived ideas and perhaps see a situation or incident more clearly. Those with dementia, the same people that some describe as having lost their humanity, are able to move to an alternate reality that makes sense in, the, in their world that is too often filled with confusion and disruption. The new place they enter often brings them contentment and delight. The third form of spirituality, says Ashley, is our connection to God. People with dementia often seem to connect with the universe and God with such ease, less interested in questions and doubts that may have filled their minds in the past. In describing her mother's relationship with God, Anne Carley wrote, I have taken care of mom for six years. I have watched as her memories and disabilities disappear, but I marvel at what remains, her surety of God's presence in her life. She is not a burden, I mean it. It is an honor to have a front row seat to her dementia and her stalwart faith. I asked her once why we were attending church. Mom said to talk with Jesus and to share our love. She may have forgotten how to dress herself, but she has not forgotten this. Death and life are experienced not only in the biggest and most definite events, in our lives, but also in those small daily moments when we give something up or move something over to make room for God's grace to live and grow in our lives. 
Those with dementia don't have control often about where they live, when they have to get up, and where what they eat, or who they can even see. They have had to put away parts of their lives they can no longer control, nor can even remember. And yet, they invite us to join them in the present, to dance with them in an alternative reality that transcends our worlds, and to connect intimately with God. Though often wordless, they ask us to set aside negative opinions, judgments, expectations, or even lofty goals so that we can live our lives in the places we find ourselves now. Even in the midst of their confusion, they ask us to embrace the hope of the resurrection. In doing so, we can redeem dementia for all of us. Caring for a person with dementia can be an isolating experience. Out of loyalty to the care recipients, in not knowing what they need, or out of self-consciousness in asking for help, families navigating their way through dementia might not reach out to the church and ask for help. And for those living with dementia who are members of congregations, it can be hard to participate in parish activities. Let's hear from Dorothy on ways in which churches might reach out to people with dementia and their caregivers, offering help, resources, and support. This kind of support can range from actively including people with dementia in church activities to changing physical aspects of the church so that people with dementia can feel comfortable to connecting families navigating dementia with people who understand what they're going through. Churches and communities, first and foremost, need to be places where people dealing with dementia can come for help, information, solace, and inclusion, and probably in that order. I suggest we begin with something easy and even soothing. So how can we help people access alternate realities that can calm fears and even bring joy? Those working with people who have dementia have discovered the power of memory boxes filled with memory cues that take the form of written stories, poetry, photos, music, scrapbooks, and other memorabilia. We have discovered that memory boxes are not just for old people or those with with dementia, but add meaning to the lives of people of all ages. But how can we make a difference in the lives of those who have dementia and the caregivers? Not only do those with dementia disappear from our lives, but also those who care for them. Frequently, the needs and concerns of family caregivers go unrecognized and unaddressed in our communities, not because people are suddenly uncaring, but because most don't know and don't understand what's going on behind closed doors. Families struggling with Alzheimer's are often at the center of invisible need. A single person may have the disease, but its impact is felt by an entire family, both its immediate and extended members. And the ripples can alter an entire community. So how do we break this unspoken code of silence and learn to deal with Alzheimer's in a constructive and supportive way? Well, first of all, we just have to talk about it. What stops us? Mutual fear, awkwardness, 
shame, the desire to protect a beloved's dignity. All the while, the inaccessibility to community grows and the separation eventually seems insurmountable as both the patient and the caregiver slip away. We can do better. How? Maybe start with an acknowledgement and an invitation. It could come in our churches in the form of a prayer request. What happens when you hear the name of someone included in intercessions in the prayers of the people? You found out why. And all of a sudden, the secrecy of dementia is broken open. Support and help become available, ending the isolation in which so many families are trapped. It could come from an affinity group that an individual or the family is a part of. A men's Bible study, an altar guild, for example. A friend discovered that her mother's bridge skills did not deteriorate during the early stages of dementia. The group she played with kept her in the rotation as long as they could and then made sure she was included in lunches and other giving, other gatherings. I wish churches would identify someone people trust to be the dementia expert, someone armed with information and resources who could answer questions and serve as a bridge to the congregation. This person could also help lead a class about Alzheimer's and the toll that it takes on all of us. As part of the class, participants could learn communication skills that make engagement with those with dementia easier. It could be a public invitation to families who are struggling with this disease to contact clergy or a designated lay leader. It could be a private phone call that invites a person to talk with the caller having no other agenda but to listen. We may need a few physical changes in our gathering spaces to accommodate people with dementia who may be in wheelchairs or to create space where people can pace not interfering with worship or formation, but allowing them to be a part of our community. John Swinton says that the true measure of hospitality is missing a person who is not there. A pastor defines hospitality as following up on an empty pew. I call it redeeming dementia by the way we face our fears and love for all of God's children for who they are. That's the end of Dorothy's talk. If you're interested in learning more about dementia and spirituality, check out Dorothy's book, Redeeming Dementia, Spirituality, Theology, and Science by Dorothy Linthicum and Janice Hicks. Also try Dancing with Elephants, Mindfulness Training for Those Living with Dementia, Chronic Illness, or an Aging Brain by Jerem Sawatsky, and the book Walking Each Other Home, Spiritual Companionship for Dementia Caregivers by Jean Denton. That's the end of our time today with Dorothy. If you are interested in learning more about her work, you can visit her author page on Building Faith, a Christian formation blog at buildfaith.org. You might be interested in other church next classes on spirituality for caregivers and those suffering from illness. Try Courage for Caregivers with Jamie Haith, 
Growing Old with Grace, Not Glamour with Barbara Crafton, Eucharistic Visitation with Tim Spenhouse, How to Help a Sick Friend with Joyce Mercer. That's the end of today's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to churchnext.tv. We close with a prayer adapted from Father Timothy Menezes' Prayer for Those Suffering from Dementia, written in 2009 for the Pastoral Care Project. Father of all goodness, your Son brought healing of mind and body to show that your kingdom is here. In our hour of need, we look to you. We seek to understand your purpose. We pray for those whose lives we share and who live with the knowledge of weakness, whose memory now fades, whose enjoyment of life's story is changing. Make us aware of the needs of others, of the dignity of life at every stage, of the collective memory that we own. Bless those who care for the sick, who share the journey. Your kingdom come, your will be done, in your good time. We ask this through the same Christ our Lord. Amen.